Good morning. For the last three weekends, I have been out of town for either all or part of the weekends, it seemed. Uh, and as varied and amazing as those three weekends have been, I am so glad to be back here at AVL City Church this morning getting a chance to worship with you all. It's just so good to be back. A lot of you know that I taught school, taught school for over 37 years. And behind my desk, I had two quotes, and those two quotes were literally there for years. Uh, they are two of my favorite quotes. I looked at them often. I, I can't say I looked at them daily, but maybe, okay? Uh, the first quote was from Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and it said, there is nothing more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. That's another message for another day, maybe around election day. That one might fit. Yeah, I said it. Sorry. Uh, the other one was from a gentleman named Ed Sable. Now, Ed Sable was the founder of NFL Films. Uh, back in the day before cable, yes, I'm old enough to remember before cable. Uh, before cable, you didn't have highlights of football games happen instantly. Uh, you had to wait till Thursday for the highlight reel to come out. Yeah, for real. And NFL films would do that. They would film every game, put together this great highlight reel, and show it on Thursday from all the games. Otherwise, you saw one, maybe two games, and that was all that was available to you. Well, Ed Sable was a master storyteller and a master narrator. Uh, and he had this quote. Tell me a fact, and I will learn. Tell me a truth, and I will believe. Tell me a story, and it will live in my heart forever. And that's how I taught. I used that as a basis for my teaching, told tons of stories. But better than Ed Sable, an even better example of teaching by storytelling is Jesus, right? Jesus loved to tell stories told stories all the time, and he told stories for two different reasons that I can think of. One is to teach, but two, he also told stories to separate people out, to separate those who had just showed up to see what all the fuss was about from those who really wanted to follow him and know what he was teaching, because a lot of his stories on the surface didn't make a lot of sense. There were analogies, there were metaphors, and unless you dug down into them, you wouldn't know what he was talking about. But he was a great storyteller. And so today, I want to start by telling you a story about a man named Jed. He was a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. Now, see, some of you understand what that is. Some of you younger ones have no idea. So you consider that a parable. You can try to figure that one out, okay? Uh, but just go to Roku channel, look up Beverly Hillbillies, you'll be good. <laughs> My story's not about a guy named Jed. It's about a guy named Josh. Now, Josh, he was a good guy. Uh, smart. Uh, very successful. If, if Josh had a, I don't know if I want to call it a weak point. Uh, some people might consider it a weak point. Because basically, 
he cared. And maybe cared, if you can care too much, he would have been one of those guys who cared too much. He just genuinely had a heart of compassion and love for other people. But being very smart, being very successful, he had a lot of people come to him. They would ask him for advice, ask him for favors, ask him for different things. He would help out. But he noticed that the things that people asked for and the advice they were wanting and things like that, that there was so much more to life than what they were asking, and they just weren't getting it. And this bothered him a lot because, he, again, he loved people so much. So he decided to do something that I guess in today's culture, today's vernacular, we would call it a social experiment. He decided to put everything aside, start over at square one, just completely set aside what he had. Now, he had support from his mother, uh, had support from his stepfather. Uh, his biological dad was still in the picture. He, he had support from his biological dad. Uh, and so he, he set everything aside, moved someplace where no one knew him, started at square one. Now, for about 90% of this experiment, not much happened. A little early sign, once of a little flash of, of something going, but then it just all sort of settled back down into average, kind of. Nobody really took notice. He got down to about the last 10% of what he had set aside for this experiment. And things started to change. Uh, they became, uh, they kicked in, but they also became a roller coaster. Okay? It, it started with a conversation he had with his cousin. That went really, really good. Uh, then he decided he was going to go into isolation. He was going to completely separate himself from everybody for over a month and really just get it together. And, and the only person he really talked to during this month uh, was his biological's dad. His, his stepdad had already passed away. A mother was still there, but he, he chose to spend this time by himself, spending time with his biological dad and seeing what would go from there. He came out of this isolation feeling pretty good. Uh, I mean, you know, what you might think of coming out of isolation, but he comes out, and once you know it, the very first person he runs into is the person who hates him more than anybody else on the face of the earth roller coaster, right? But he handles it like a champ. Goes right on by the guy, kicks off this last 10% full force, and he decides what he's going to do. He's going to go on a speaking tour. He's going to put together a team, and he's going to go around, and he's going to be speaking to people and teaching people how they can have this better life that, that they don't even understand that they can have. All this stuff that he's seen people missing for all of his life. He's seen people missing all this, and now, he's, now he can teach it. Now he can spend time with them. So he picks a team, and just like everything else about this experiment being sort of nothing normal about it, he picks a team that there's nothing really normal about how you would pick a team to do this either. Uh, it's not like he goes out and picks people who are on the, 
30 people under 30 who were going to make the biggest impact or he didn't pick people who were well refined or well educated or had made a name for themselves as great leaders. He didn't pick any of those. He picked a really young group for his team. And he picked them because he thought, you know, I'm only going to do this for so long and then I'm going to step aside and I want, I want a team together that can keep teaching people and showing people what I'm trying to show them. So he gets his team and he takes off. And it's not long before he is incredibly popular. Now, not really financially successful. He wasn't going after the financial end. He wasn't trying to gain anything financially. That's, that wasn't his heart. His heart was to show people a better way. Not long after he starts, he starts rolling into towns and literally thousands of people are showing up to hear him. Thousands. And this goes on and on. The word goes before him, and he starts heading toward a town, and people start gathering. I mean, they're, they're excited for him to be there. But as we all know, you can't really do much of anything good without making somebody mad. Just the way our lives are, right? And the same thing happened with him. He had a group of people get mad. And this group of people were some leaders. There were some powerful people. They didn't like what he was doing. He was stealing their thunder, making them look bad. They told him to quit. They went to him and just said, stop. And he went, eh, no, 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 sorry, no. And he keeps going. His mother shows up with his siblings and says, have you lost your mind? Do you know what's going to happen to you if you keep doing this? He said, well, whatever, and he keeps doing it. And so he tells his, his team, he says, look, you know, I see the writing on the wall here. Things are not going to end good. They're not going to end good for me. They're not going to end good for you. And his team goes, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Look at this. You've got thousands of people showing up every town we roll into. They absolutely love you. Don't talk like that. That's crazy talk. Stop that. He tells them, no, I know what I'm talking about. So they finally roll into a, a big city, a major city. Huge welcome turns out for them. Everything looks great. And then the bottom falls out. One of his team members betrays him. And to make a long story short, in a very short amount of time, he was murdered. His team freaks out. They fall apart. They go into hiding because... They understand maybe they are next. One of the team leaders even publicly denies every having even known him. Now, the story leaves several questions sort of hanging there in the air. Was his experiment successful? Uh, what happened to the team? Why would he even do something like that? I mean, his mother and his siblings warned him. People tried to get him to stop. He kept on. Why would he go through all that for people who didn't even care? And for those who seemed to care, some of them betrayed him. Some turned their backs on him. 
why would he do something like that? And most importantly, this is the question I want us to, to look into today. Why is this story so important to us? Well, the good news is, you know the story doesn't end there. You know the end of the story. Uh, in case you haven't figured out, that's the story of Jesus, right? Now, if we lived in Jesus' time and we rolled into Nazareth and asked for Jesus, they would have looked at us like, who? Because Jesus is an English translation, and they didn't speak English. They did speak Greek and Hebrew. And we get our New Testament from the Greek, right? Now, if we'd have rolled into Nazareth and asked for Yeshua, then they would have pointed us in the right direction. Especially if we asked for Yeshua the carpenter, they would have pointed us in the right direction. But when we translate Yeshua from Greek to English, it translates as Jesus. When we translate the Hebrew Yeshua into English, it translates as Joshua. That's why Josh was the name in the story, okay, instead of Jed. So today we're going to continue talking about the Trinity. We've talked about it for the last couple of weeks. Donovan two weeks ago spoke about God the Father last week. Sergio spoke about the Holy Spirit. And today I want to speak about Jesus, the Son. Okay? Then next week, Sergio is going to come up, and if he's any kind of speaker at all, He's going, he's going to make it crystal clear about the whole Trinity thing. Might be the first person in history to do that, but if he's, if he's worth his salt, he, he can do that. I got confidence in you, bro. I'm here for you. <laughs> you see, the truth of the matter is the disciples, well, let me back up. Jesus was fully God and fully human at the same time, right? Fully God, fully human. And sometimes that's kind of hard for us. We can accept it, but it can be a little hard for us to get our mind wrapped around. The disciples didn't have any problem getting their mind wrapped around the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus was human. We don't have any trouble getting our mind wrapped around that, you know, that you're human and I'm human. I mean, and, and that's the way it was with the disciples and Jesus. They knew he was human. He was right there. They did struggle getting their minds wrapped around his divinity, that he was the son of God. Even after he had performed all sorts of miracles and cast out demons and walked on water and done all these amazing things, they still at times struggled to get their mind wrapped around it. Now, today, as, as Christians, we don't seem to have much of a problem getting our mind wrapped around his divinity. Non-believers do, admittedly, but as believers, we can accept his divinity, that he's the son of God. And we can accept that he was human, but we miss out, I think, on why that's so important. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, this whole thing about being fully God and fully human at the same time, um, real quick, we're going to hit four Scripture references that reference this, okay? First one comes out of Isaiah. There we go, Isaiah 9, 6. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 1 Timothy 3.16, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And Luke 24, 39, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And of course, that was Jesus speaking. If you want to read, sort of a side note, if you want to read a, a really good book on the humanity of Jesus, uh, then I would recommend this book, if we can bring that slide up, uh, Jesus' Journey by Trent Shepard, a really good book that focuses strictly on the humanity of Christ. Okay? Now, it seems like sometimes we think that we know that Jesus was human, but we don't, I don't know, we always accept that he lived just a fully human life. Okay? Sometimes we sort of go Ricky Bobby. Talladega Nights. Remember that movie? <laughs> Ricky Bobby's prayer, little baby Jesus who's sitting in his crib, watching his baby Einstein videos, learning shapes. and Sometimes we act like Little baby Jesus laid there in the crib and, you know, played with planets or something like that. Uh, so I, I, have some, I have some questions for you. When Jesus was a baby and he got hungry, did he cry or did he just raise his hand and let his mama know he was hungry? What about this one? Baby Jesus, did his diaper stink? Perfectly. <laughs> Did baby Jesus ever have a blowout diaper? Yeah, you parents know. Yeah. When he started teething, did he cry in pain or did he just wake up one morning with a full set of baby teeth and flash his pearly whites at Mary? Right? As a child, did he ever have to be told twice to do anything? Jesus was a carpenter, right? Did he measure twice and cut once? Did he just have to measure once? <laughs> or did he measure at all? Exactly. He just, oh, yeah, that's. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. What it does talk about, or, or basically what historians and theologians say, is because it didn't make much reference of his childhood. That the, other than the fact that when he was 12, he sort of cut out from the family and hung back three days at the temple uh, with his family not knowing where he was. He found him in the temple teaching at 12 years old. Other than that, there's not much about his childhood. And so the historian and theologians think, probably just an average childhood, probably just your average kid. But there are some things that the Bible does say that lets us know for a fact that Jesus was human. 
And I'm going to go through these pretty quick, okay? Uh, these are scriptures that show some human characteristics of Jesus. Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus heard of his cousin, John the Baptist's death, he went away in a boat to a deserted spot by himself. So he showed grief, sadness, right? He was astonished in Luke 7, 9. Matthew 3, 5 says he was deeply upset and looked at, around at them angrily. John 11, 33 to 35, deeply stirred in the spirit, Jesus burst into tears. Jesus celebrated in the Holy Spirit in Luke 10, 21. He hugged the children and blessed them in Mark 10, 16. Luke 19, 41, when he came near and saw the city, he wept over it. Matthew 21, 18 talks about how he was hungry. John 19, 28, he was thirsty. In John 4, 6, he was weary, tired. My favorite, Mark 11, 12 through 14, Jesus got hangry. Now, hangry may not be in the Bible, but if you're unfamiliar with this passage, it's when Jesus gets up in the morning, he's heading into town, he sees a fig tree, he's hungry. He goes up to the fig tree, no fruit. He cursed the tree and it died. If that's not hangry, I'm not real sure what hangry is. So why is this important? The task of a disciple, the main job of a disciple was to learn to be just like the rabbi, just like their teacher. It was an honor to be asked to sit, what they called sit at the feet of a rabbi, to sit and listen to a rabbi teach, for you to have a chance to learn what he was teaching, to take it, grasp it, and be just like him. Okay? That was the whole role. Jesus taught his disciples how to live, right? He showed them how to live. He didn't just teach them. He didn't just tell them. He showed them how to live. He showed them how to love others. He showed them how to honor and please God. The word we use in the church is sanctification. Sort of a big word for just saying from the time we become a Christian till the time we are called to, to heaven, in other words, when we pass away, that entire time, we should be in this process of sanctification, learning to be more and more and more like our rabbi, our teacher, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Now, you can know something, and you can know something. That make sense? Let me give you some examples. I can know that it would hurt if I broke a bone. Okay? How many of you have had a broken bone? Then you really know, right? Somebody who hasn't had one may know it hurts, but somebody who has had a broken bone knows it hurts. I know it would hurt if someone shot me. I have never been shot. Okay? Somebody who has been shot knows that a whole lot better than I do. There was an interview with an emergency room doctor in Los Angeles, and she worked the trauma unit at night, and she saw gunshot victims almost on a nightly basis. And in the article, the 
the writer of the article had asked her, what's the number one comment you hear from gunshot victims? I thought, well, that's a no-brainer. It's going to be, am I going to die? That wasn't the number one comment. She said, hands down, the number one comment that she heard from gunshot victims was, are you ready for this? Well, I didn't know it was going to hurt. To quote Sergio, what? How do you, what do you mean you didn't know it was going to hurt? You stuck with the thumbtack. That hurts, and that's a little bitty hole. What do you think a big hole is going to feel like? But seriously, it was like, well, I didn't know it was going to hurt. But we watched so many movies, TV, video games, where, I mean, they get shot and they get up like nothing's happened. Well, because that's make-believe. That's not real. In real life, it hurts. Let me give you another one. Uh, parents, before you had a child, you knew what it was like to have a child. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, yeah, you say that now because now you have one. You go, no, I didn't. When I was teaching, before my daughter was born, I'd have parents come in. So, well, you just don't understand. You don't have kids. And I'm sitting there thinking, I have 150 a day. I think I know. You know, and for the kids I coached, for a lot of those kids, I spent more waking hours with their kid than they did. I think I know what it's like to have your kid. And then I had a daughter. And I was like, okay, maybe I didn't know. This is a whole nother level. I'll give you another one. Men, we know that it hurts, that it's painful to have a baby, even though we have never had one, right? And we know how much it hurts because we've had colds. And as far as we're concerned, our level of a cold equals about that of, of a childbirth, right? I also, <laughs> I also know that I'm now in trouble. So let's move on. <laughs> the omniscient God, the all-knowing God, knows what it's like to be human. And he could know what it's like to be human simply by sitting on the throne in heaven and having that knowledge because he knows all, right? But he didn't do that. He didn't choose the easy way. He chose the hard way. He chose to become flesh, to become human so that he could know. He becomes one of us, feeling our pain, shedding our tears, joining our struggles. He didn't just walk around in a body. John 1, 14 says, he became flesh. Why would he do that? Just to know? No, there's more to it. I'm going to give you two reasons, and I, I hope I don't... These aren't confusing. One, he wanted to know so he could better relate to us. And two, and this is what can be a little confusing, he wanted us to know that he knew what it was like 
to be human. That he's not just God sitting on a throne in heaven and he's never gone through what we've gone through. He wanted us to know that, yes, we know that he knew because he went through some of the same stuff. He went through the same things that we went through. He went through good times. He went through horrendous times. He went through tragedies. He went through loss of loved ones and friends. He went through pain and suffering, excruciating suffering. He went through betrayal. He went through all these things so that when we go through them, we know that he understands. Sergio said last week that we go through seasons in our life where sometimes we relate better to the Father and sometimes better to the Son and sometimes better to the Holy Spirit. There are those times I need to relate to someone who knows what I'm going through. If you lose a loved one, if a loved one passes away and someone who's never lost a loved one comes up and says to you, well, I know what you're going through. Your first thought is, do I hit him with a fist or a two-by-four? Because this clown doesn't know. He says he knows, but no, he doesn't. You know, there's more to it than that, right? When we go through experiences, now we can relate to people who have been through those experiences, and they understand that we understand. Just like Jesus. He demonstrated the absolute best way to live, the absolutely best way to be human. Because of Jesus' humanity, his life, his death, his resurrection, there's now a new way to be human, deeply rooted in the love of Abba the Father and filled with the power and overflowing life of the Holy Spirit. Trent Shepherd, in his book, Jesus' Journey, the last paragraph in his book says this. The Father's point, his plan, his eternal purpose is to have spirit-alive people living and loving like Jesus throughout the whole earth in every sphere of society, every area of culture carpenters and consultants, teachers and doctors, mechanics and zoologists, moms and dads, sons and daughters, all of us being shaped according to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn of a large family. It's Romans 8:29. Pay attention to this next sentence. And you have to listen to the whole sentence. Okay? And if you walk away today and you don't remember another single thing I said, this is what I want you to take away and remember. Jesus didn't come to make you less human. He came to make you more human. Listen, like him. Jesus didn't come to make you less human. He came to make you more human like him. And he goes on to say, and the Holy Spirit is here to help you now and forever in the Jesus journey. So let me tell you a fact that you can learn. Let me tell you a truth that you can believe 
let me tell you a story that can live in your heart forever. Jesus loves you that much. That he gave it all up, came here, paid a price for your mistakes, for my mistakes, even knowing that we're going to turn our backs on him, that we're going to disappoint him, that we're going to take times when we walk away from him, that we're going to struggle with so many things in our lives, even question his existence after all he's done for us. But he loves us so much that he did it anyway knowing that. He came to know so that I would know and that you would know that he does know and understands and loves us. Francis Chan in Crazy Love said, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all of your friends you've ever had on earth, all the food you've ever liked, all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, and all the physical pleasure you ever tasted, with no human conflict and no natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ wasn't there? The first time I read that, I got to that part that said, could you be satisfied with heaven? And I went, well, yeah. And then I read that last little bit, and it broke my heart. I completely left Jesus out. Make sure you understand this. If your salvation experience is rooted in and only in you getting to go to heaven, then you have to ask yourself, did I accept Christ or did I just buy fire insurance trying to stay out of hell? What was my goal there? The goal to heaven isn't to have all those things, even those, those will be there. That's not the goal to heaven. The goal to our salvation is to spend eternity with Christ. That's why he loves you so much. That's his goal. He wants you. He loves you so much that he wants to spend eternity with you. With you. That stuff is just icing on the cake. If we get to heaven and heaven were nothing except Jesus standing in front of me, it would be more than I could ever hope for and dream of. And I could be happy for eternity. There's a story about a landowner in Matthew 20 who hires some people to go out in the field to do the work and he tells them he'll pay them a day's wages. About lunch, he notices that uh, the work's not going to get all done. So he hires some more people and he tells them, I'll pay you a full day's wages to go out and work a half day. He goes on. He gets about an hour left before it's time to quit. There's still too much left to be done. So he goes out and hires some more workers. And he tells those workers, look, I'll give you a full day's wage. Just to get this, you know, help me knock this out. And sure enough, at the end of the day, he settles up and he pays everybody a full day's wages. Well, the guys who had worked all day weren't real happy about that. And they questioned the landowner about it. The landowner said, look, it's my call. I'm the one who decides what I give. 
God is the one who decides. He doesn't care if you came to Jesus, if you accepted Christ as your Savior as a child or as a 90-year-old laying on your deathbed seconds before you die. He's not going to love you more because you served him longer. You accept him, you get all of his love. All of it. If you bought fire insurance, it's not too late to have Christ at the center. As the band sings this last song in a second, there'll be people in the, in the back and Sergio will be around and I'll be around and others will be around. If you have questions, I would urge you, understand what Christ went through for you. You personally. And have that conversation with him today. And accept him. As the band sings this last song, we leave here today. Remember this, please. Jesus became human. So you can become more human like him. And that's a fact, a truth, and a story that you can learn, believe, and have live in your heart forever. Amen.